You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. It's good to be with you. Uh, Like Ben said, well, I don't know if he actually said this. Tonight is Ask Me Anything. That's what we're calling it. We're calling it that across the whole church. Um, each congregation is having an Ask Me Anything night. And the pastors rotated, uh, which we do once a quarter, just as an expression of our one, the fact that we are one church. So I am your pastor, even though I don't get to see you all in this building, especially that much. This is the opportunity. So... Rachel was at 3800 Marlton Pike this morning for their 1030 meeting, and then tonight for their 6 o'clock, and Johnny Rashid is at West Tulpahocken, which since, <laughs> I like how you just kind of cough it out there just to get it all out. I The, the name Tulpahocken Street um, is named, um, it, the, the meaning of the word is Land of the Turtles, and it was a... Um, the uh, the indigenous people who lived in that area were in three clans, the, the turkey clan, the wolf clan, and the turtle clan. So it literally refers to land of this people group, and this street is named after them. And it's actually also the name of a creek, the Tulpahocken Creek, runs the whole way out, I think it's almost out towards like Redding. So apparently there were probably turtles around this creek. In any case, that's a little bit of the history of where the name comes from, and um, we're glad to be there. We've looked for a long time. We were on Ridge Avenue renting a space out of an Episcopal church, which was a great start for our new congregation, but we outgrew the space, and we had been looking for a larger space um, and hoping to be in Germantown. We have a number of cells in Germantown and a lot of folks who live in that area, so we're glad to be there. Yes. Um, so tonight's Ask Me Anything uh, discussion is unscripted. I don't have a talk prepared um, because you're going to ask questions, and I'm probably not going to know the answers to all of your questions. Um, I am hoping to spark a dialogue, and I, I do trust, I know many of you, and I know, and I trust the Holy Spirit among us, so I know that in our dialogue, um, God reveals um, things to us through his spirit. So I'm trusting that that happens. And and then for the next uh, eight weeks, I think it is, through the rest of the summer up till the fall, uh, we are having a series of someone asked sermons or talks. So we've been collecting questions across the whole church, and we have quite a list of very varied and interesting questions that we will pull from to write our talks and um, continue the dialogue in that way. I have an eight-year-old son and an almost 11-year-old daughter. And yeah, I know. (laughs) She turns 11 in two weeks. Um, But my eight-year-old especially asks these very insightful, deep, um, spiritual questions, usually at bedtime, like right before he's supposed to be going to sleep. And he knows that I can't resist. You know, like, of course I'm going to talk to you about this. Um, But it is frequent that I will say, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know about that. Isn't that interesting? That's that's a mystery to me. 
And he's, he's wholly unsatisfied by that. He, he will regularly tell me, Mom, you're the pastor. You're supposed to have all the answers. And I'm quite fine with not having all the answers, actually. And it's a beautiful thing to me that in our dialogue, I get this window into his heart and his mind and what he's working out at his stage of his life and his development and his faith. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he can learn from me that being a pastor, or hopefully translating, following Jesus, doesn't mean having all the answers. It is about a relationship that we have that we're working out with God, and there is mystery, and there is wonder, and um, it's, a, it's a journey of discovery. And so I'm hoping that he learns that through me, and I'm hoping that we get to that spirit of our dialogue tonight, too. Is that enough to set the stage? Maybe you didn't even know you were walking into this, so that's okay. You might have a question that you've been pondering or that your cell has been talking about. You might have a question that's specific for me, like about my experience or something that only I could answer, and I'm happy to talk about that. Again, it's, it's, we're just opening discussion together. So what's, what questions do you have, Ellen? Hmm. I'm going to repeat that question. Ellen was asking, um, what led to my development spiritually? Like, I grew up in the church, and and how did I get here, basically? Is that enough? I did grow up in the church. I I come from a family of generations of Jesus followers. um, And the church I grew up in was actually a non-denominational church, and it had in the name Calvary Independent Church. And I only noticed that later in my adult life because I realized how, how much I absorbed that idea that, um, about being independent and that my relationship with God was a very individual one. It was very much about being right with God, getting right with God, doing the right things, and having a personal kind of horizontal relationship. Um, and so it wasn't kind of until I grew into myself and my adulthood, and I moved to Philadelphia, and I connected to Circle of Hope, that that really got kind of turned upside down for me. And I realized I had been missing a, a whole, um, the whole reality that following Jesus means that I belong to you, and you belong to me, that we are being made a people of God to express Um, the life and the love of Jesus in the world. And so it wasn't just about me independently getting it right, um, even though I very much wanted to be getting it right. I did not want to get things wrong, and and I I think I was kind of pretty good at getting things right, and I realized that was not going to save me. And um, I quickly came to the end of that, and the end of myself um, over and over again. So Circle of Hope has been really instrumental in helping me experience God's grace um, in its various forms and being able to receive that both for myself and then also give it. I came to Circle of Hope because I started dating Steve Hoke. He and I connected through, we have, uh, we had similar circles of friends but had never met each other. So we knew each other's friends, but it had never connected until we were at a party together. And 
later, because I knew people who knew him, I like was asking up about him. <laughs> and since my friends could say, yeah, he's a cool guy, we started, started hanging out. So I connected to Circle because of that. And he did the same thing, by the way. He did ask about me to my friends. What other questions? Have I been reading anything inspiring, and what do I like about it? Yes. Um, um, the other week, I finished reading White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo. And it's excellent. I would recommend it to everyone and have been recommending it to everyone. Um, it's a really important book that talks about and helps, helps the reader, particularly white readers, um, examine what it means to live as a white person in the United States and uh, recognize the, the privileges that we are afforded just because uh, we are white. And the author is very unflinchingly Yeah, uh, yes, you could say that. Dedicated, yes. Um, but I, I would say she is, uh, she's helping the reader look at, um, how to do your own work, basically, in, 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 uh, examining yourself and your life and your relationships and then how it affects your friends who are people of color or black people in particular. Um, and so I found it very convicting and useful. Very useful. I actually started towards the end of the book because I was looking for something in particular and um, then went back and started the beginning. <laughs> and I've uh, been talking about it ever since. And the um, Circle Mobilizing Because Black Lives Matter, one of our compassion teams, is actually reading the book together now. And they're organizing a, uh, I don't know what they're calling it, not a workshop, but some sort of event to discuss the book together. In, in a, as a group um, at the end of October. So if you're interested, get the book. And um, it's good to not read it alone. I will say that. It's not meant to read alone. It's really meant for dialogue. And um, it'll be great to have the discussion together in our community. Yes. We have so many great compassion teams. Um, uh, that's interesting. I don't know if I have... Okay, all right, I'm thinking. This is not going to be satisfying in the direction that you're asking me, but I'm going to tell you anyway because I want to use the opportunity to tell you about something that's amazing, and I don't think many people have heard this story yet. We have a compassion team that is friends of, of the Penn Treaty School in, um, it's near our Frankfurt Ave congregation, and Brooke Hoffman leads the team. She used to teach at Penn Treaty for uh, maybe decades. She doesn't now, but she's leading the team. And they have like game nights and other events to support um, the students and the school. And recently, uh, we as a whole church, through, through money that we share in common um, and set aside for compassion work, shared over $4,000 with them for a scholarship fund to support students who are going to go to college. That school, as, as many, if not most or all, uh, Philadelphia public schools are under-resourced and, you know, the, just the needs are so great. And 
Um, so they, that, they just recently started a particular program helping students get equipped for college, and then students were so demoralized when they came to realize how expensive books are, and you know they just don't have that kind of resources. So this money that we shared with them is starting a scholarship fund that will actually re regenerate or replenish um, over time. I, she could explain um, the details of how it's set up, but it's brilliant and inspiring, and we're going to help, we together are going to help a lot of students over the years get resources that they need to go to school. So that's pretty great. I hope, I hope you all tell three people that story, because we're doing it together. Yes, Ben. What is my favorite worship song and why? I mean, <laughs> I do. I was actually going to say that. I We... <laughs> <laughs> we write so many good songs, and I think I love them the most because they come from the heart of our community. And our congregation was talking um, earlier this summer. We did a like a worship, kind of like a worship relief night where we sang and wrote our own psalms. And actually, the first time we did that, Robbie introduced it, and he explained that sometimes when he reads the Psalms, it's hard to connect to the language or, you know, what's there. And then he realized, like, oh, we as a community write our own Psalms, and we put them to music, and we sing them as a community, like the Psalms were in Scripture. I, I feel similarly, like, I love the songs that come from our heart because it's really an expression of our life in Christ together, and they are real laments and joys and um, cries and everything else. So I'm blanking on a specific one right now, but I can say that I am definitely partial to the ones that our musicians have written. So I'm kind of thinking about this. I, this is like a, to be a dialogue question for everyone. So um, lately for myself, I feel like I've been having like a hard time of like, being busy and reconnecting with God, you know, like uh, participating in the relationship. Like, mm -hmm. And I'm just curious, what are some practices that you need to do with, like, your busyness, how you, like, we're all busy, right? You know, we're, so, um, uh, I don't know if it's like a self-question, but like, I need more tools. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I need to learn new ways because sometimes when I try to do it, the way I did it three years ago, mm. I'm in a different space. Totally. You know, and my relationship with God's different. Yeah. You know I mean? So, um, yeah, I need to go about reconnecting with God. Especially as we change and our lives change and things feel busy, how do we connect with God in new ways that feel alive and fuel our life today? Not just what worked last year, three years ago. Yeah. I really like that part of the question, um, not just what worked three years ago, because I relate to that. I feel like my life has kind of been on a, a, a huge whirlwind in becoming a pastor three years ago. It changed a lot of things. And so my rhythms, um, my disciplines, even the capacity that I have to do what I'm doing, I keep finding myself uh, needing to adjust and change to something new. Um, so I can relate to it, and I don't know if you experience this, but I will, I will add to the question, like, 
there can be in me a voice of judgment or condemnation of like, it's not working, you're not feeling it, this isn't... Okay, all right. So maybe other people can relate to us, Jimmy. I don't know, but um, there's freedom. In the way you're phrasing the question, you're acknowledging that there is freedom and actual necessity to develop a, a... a life with God that changes with us. We go through different seasons. We go through, it's, it's our develop, our spiritual development, I think, is like more circular than linear anyway, you know? And we often try to think that we should be further along than we are, especially as a pastor. It's very easy for me to think that. I have this idea of like what a pastor should be and where a pastor should be. And I don't think it works like that. I don't think it is linear and I don't think you arrive. And so it is freeing to recognize it's more about a, uh, a life uh, and cycles and of development that will change uh, all the time. Parenting has helped me with this because kids never stay the same. You start to think you got it. You got a rhythm. You figure them out. You're managing your own anger, whatever it is. <laughs> And then they change, and they need something totally different. And you feel like, I'm starting over all over again. Um, But in that way, I think that parenting has helped me develop spiritually because I've recognized, like, oh, I'm at the end of myself all the time. This really isn't about my capacity. It's really not about what I can achieve on my own. I really do need Jesus every day. (laughs) And... um, yeah, so maybe I said enough for the moment. Maybe you have very specific ideas that, of things that have worked for you all. Does anybody have ideas they want to add to this conversation about how do you stay connected to God at different stages? Alan. I like where this conversation is going. I would say... Um, Mostly I have like more, more like a different variety of maybe like anxiety or something. It's like what I want to do and what I can do realistically in a week is like not the same. Or um, you know, at a, at one point I would finish work and I would go I thought, okay, instead of getting stuck in my room and not doing anything, what if I like have like a time out? Like, I need to go someplace that's not just straight to my apartment and, like, hmm. have a time out and just be like, what would you like to do, like, when you go home? Or, like, what would you, hmm. you know, like, what would an efficient use of your time be? You know, like, what, what just, like, really, really break it down into, like, great um, hmm. Because otherwise, I'll waste, like, a huge amount of time. Like, mm-hmm. um, also, just because, like, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not, like, a super genius smart or anything, but I'm, like, I think I'm smart in some areas, so, like, try and think about solving, like, complex problems or making things more efficient, like, how to solve something that's working on in my work. But, like, you know, if I got, I like, what resources do I need my family? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess here in my family, like, I have a lot of, like, pressure and stuff, so. I think just knowing that God will give you the resources you need, but also, like, just 
if your routine is bad, like, pick up your routine a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a really... Yes, worship is. <laughs> Jimmy might be on all the worship teams. Is that is that right? Okay. Yes, worship does get us out of ourselves, right? And it is about connecting with God. So that's good. I also liked your your point about breaking up the routine, doing something different. I think anytime we do something with intention to connect with God, God is not far from us. Even when we don't feel um, everything we might want to feel um, with God, it, it, it's God is accessible and with us. And so, so stepping out of our regular routine to do something with intention is a good way, I think, to um, make, make some space for something new. The other thing I thought while you were talking about that routine thing is that I, I also read a book earlier this year called The Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren, I think is her name. Um, it is, it's, not a the, it's not a deep theology book. It's just a very simple read, and it, is so, it was so encouraging. She literally writes each chapter about the ordinary practices of life and how she meets God, and God meets her in those, making coffee. Making, I think the first chapter is making the bed and how, you know, she used to wake up and check her phone. And then she started realizing what that habit was doing to her spirit, to her mind, to her relationships, to the stress level she carried with her day. So she intentionally changed the routine, said, I'm not going to touch the phone. I'm going to get up and make the bed. Not because making the bed is especially moral thing to do, but because it was like a prayerful act. And anyway, and then the whole book is like that. It's just it's just practical examples of how these things we do, check our email, make the coffee, whatever the rest of the things are, God is with us in it. So it might be an encouraging read, it, like you have time. <laughs> I think that's the point is busyness is hard. But Anybody else want to add? You have a different question. Does anyone else have a suggestion or, or something that you've learned or tried in response to Jimmy's question? Pray a lot. What does that look like for you, Rand? When you designate time to pray, are you like in a, in a certain place in your... Uh-huh. I uh-huh. Um, or it could be right now, like a place where I can just kind of turn into the background. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it could look like a lot of things. It could just be like instructing them on their way. It kind of like kind of like a system. Or it could just have a lot of time. It could be just like a lot of time. Yes. Okay, just planning a big life paper for me. Um, I can get really hard on myself because I have a specific picture of what it should look like and what it is time. And then I get a lot of guilt and shame that comes in because it didn't take, I didn't sit down for 10 minutes and do this thing, you know what I mean? And so like, it starts to pull spiral from here, I feel, you know, and then I'm just like, ah, uh, whatever, I'll start over tomorrow or something. But I, I had a conversation with this woman at my work actually, who happens to be an actress. And 
we were just talking about just being prayerful and I mean I think I kind of expressed that like you know, it's difficult for me sometimes to just find that time in the day and there's no excuse, but it's just hard for me to do that sometimes. And she's like, she's like, I don't know, she's like, be careful like, throughout the day. She's like, when you're walking to your car, it's like, you know, be careful like it's about like where your mind is at and like where you're constantly breathing up in your And I know this is really basic, but that kind of keeps me stuck with me and it's something that I've been thinking about more. Also, I mean, to, to go off a field of quiet space, there's sometimes how to driving, and I'll be like, oh, The car and the shower are like the only two quiet places I get. <laughs> AJ, what was your question? This is a rowdy bunch, so. <laughs> what is your What is your vision for Circle of Hope to reach people, unreached people of Philadelphia, and what direction do you think we should go in? It's a good question. What direction should we go in to reach people and help people to know Jesus? I keep already hearing and seeing confirmation that the discernment process that we went through in our mapping that led us to cells was like from God. <laughs> I think cells are the way that people can get next to Jesus, even when they don't know they're looking for Jesus. And an example from my cell uh, this past week is that uh, a woman I worked with like over 10 years ago um, who I keep in touch with periodically. Last I knew she was Buddhist. Um, she texted me Mark chapter 4, which is the parable of the sowers and the sower. And um, she said, Julie, I read this and I thought of you. I thought of Circle of Hope. This is what you guys are doing all the time. And I was like, yes, <laughs> great. <laughs> um, and then she came to my cell this week, and she said afterwards, she said, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but something shifted for me. I'm, I'm going to come back. So I really think that that is that the space that we make to relate to each other, to build real relationships face-to-face -face in a context that is where everything we're doing is centered around Jesus, good things happen. And that's really different than reaching people with the right ideas or the, the um, right theology about God or about Jesus. Um, it's, it's an incarnational, embodied way that we are. Um, I really think we've been given that by God to do. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.